time today will be 30 through 32. So John 5, 19. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son. And just as they honor the Father, whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. And truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me is eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. And truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. And those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Here's our focus today. I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. Let's pray. Lord, as we walk through and are reminded of what has been being communicated in, uh, up to our time today by Christ, uh, may we see the great glory that is connected to your name. And it's in that name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So Jesus today is going to take us further uh, into the revelation of who he is, and he's going to remind us of some of the things that have already uh, been said, but we're going to see the greatness of his glory in a unique way. And so I want to go ahead and begin. I've got, um, today is a box day, and so I've got lots of boxes, and so, um, so to keep in mind where we have been, in John chapter 5, Jesus walks into an area near the temple called Bethesda. There is a man there. There's lots of people there who are longing to get into the water so, so that they could be healed. He, he comes up directly to one man who is a paralytic, and he tells the man uh, to take up his mat and to walk. And so the man does that. He's walking around the temple, and as he's walking around the temple, the, the religious leaders stop him and say, hey, what are you doing We're working on the Sabbath? You're carrying the mat. You're doing wrong. Uh, what in the world are you doing? And so he said, well, the guy who healed me, he told me to get up and go. And so that's exactly what I did. And so from that, they find out that it's actually Jesus who has done the healing. So not only are they upset that he healed on the Sabbath day, but they were upset that he actually told somebody else to, do, to work on the Sabbath day. And so there are two big issues that they have with Christ. And so they begin to persecute Jesus, and so Jesus begins to answer them, why can he heal on the Sabbath? And so he begins to give these great affirmations in regard to 
that he and the Father are equal in every kind of way. And so I want to build a picture visually for us this morning of the glory of Christ. And so Jesus begins to answer them, and he just says this. Here's why I can work on the Sabbath, because my Father is at work on the Sabbath. And because my Father is at work on the Sabbath, um, I am equal to my Father, and I can be at work on the Sabbath. And then secondly... He begins to tell them that he has the ability to be able to see everything that the Father does. Jesus is the only person ever who's lived who's able to see everything that Yahweh was able to do. And he could see it, he could hear it, not only could he see, but he could hear. And so Jesus tells them, I healed because this man because my Father was about healing on this day. And so Jesus tells them that he sees what the Father does. And so he connected his life um, with that. And so bear with me, we've got 18 boxes today, 9 on the front, 9 on the back end, so just hang on here. And then Jesus says, the Father and I have this unique relationship, and here's what the unique relationship is. The Father loves to show me, the Son, all that He's up to and everything that He's doing. And I think this was one of the great pleasures that the Father had in the relationship with Christ when Christ was here is he just loved showing him, revealing to him how he was working in, in Israel. And so Jesus says, here's another reason why I um, have this unique relationship and equality with my Father is that the Father shows me what he's doing and I join in with what he is doing. Then the fourth thing Jesus begins to share with them in regard to why he is equal with his Father is that in the Old Testament, the Father raised people from the dead in the new testament jesus is going to do the exact same thing he is going to raise people from the dead so elijah and elisha the prophets were given the power by god uh, to raise people from the dead one of them elisha in his tomb uh, some raiders came in and and they were pillaging the area and they threw a dead body into the tomb of elisha and when the dead body touched the the bones of elisha that dead body just came to life and so, so God showed through the Old Testament that the Father, Yahweh, raised people from the dead. Well, Jesus showed while he was here in his ministry that he had the same authority and equality with his Father. Why? Because Jesus also raised people from the dead. So Jesus makes this case, and he shares with them this fourth perspective. As the Father raises the dead, so does the Son. And then Jesus gives a fifth perspective. If you notice a while ago it said the Father judges no one, but He's given all, all judgment to the Son. Jesus actually, a little bit later in John chapter 8, He's going to say that the Father does judge, but this big role has been given to Christ. And so, so the Father, this is important, completely trusted Jesus in this role to be the judge. Jesus knows what we say, he knows what people do, and so he has been given this great authority um, by the Father in this role to be the judge of the world. And then this one we talked about last week, very powerful. Old Testament Jews greatly honored Yahweh, greatly honored God, and, and Jesus said, just as you honor the Father in heaven, I want you to know that I get the same equal honor that he has. And so he speaks about the equality that he has been given. So both the Father and the Son get equal honor. And I hope now that you're beginning to see 
that Jesus is standing in the temple saying these words to the religious leader. It is somebody in a human body. We know he is God, but they cannot stomach what's being communicated. And they are having a huge, huge issue with this as he is making himself to, to be equal with the Father. And then he says this, As the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself. And so the Father gives life. Jesus has the exact same authority, the exact same privilege that the Father had, is that Jesus is able to give life to people. Not only is that just a spiritual life, but that is also in the end times, and we'll look at that in in a box here in a moment, in the very end times where there will be a resurrection and people will be raised to life. And so this one is different than, where is it? This one. They are different. So the Father gives Jesus the role as judge. And this one, the Father gives the Son the authority to judge. And this is more connected to end times future in regard to things that are coming, is that Jesus' voice will speak. The dead in Christ will rise. Those who have rejected Christ, those who have, have believed in Christ, and, and the powerful voice of Jesus will speak. And when he does that... Um, he will raise people to life, and then th- this is connected with them. This is what we looked at last week, is that the Son's voice, when Jesus speaks, he will speak and he will resurrect everyone who has died ever in the history of the world. Let me just remind you and I of this. Think about the power and the authority that is connected to Christ. He will say this, rise, and everybody that's been lost in the ocean, that's been lost in a mountain or a river or a lake, that's in a tomb, wherever it is, will immediately rise. And that body will be reunited with a soul. It will become a spiritual body. And when he speaks, he will raise everyone, and people will be raised either to a resurrection of eternal life in heaven or there will be a raising at the end um, of the millennial kingdom where there will be a judgment that happens and takes place where people go to eternal separation from God. Now, I want you to just take in the tower for a moment, and I want you to look at it. Jesus has been speaking these words in the temple to the religious leaders, and these are are bold claims. These are very, very powerful claims and they have an issue with this, and here's why, and we'll begin to walk with it, is in Israel, you could not give testimony just of yourself. You needed more witnesses to give affirmation. And so Jesus is standing there saying, well, all of these things are true about me. And they're like, well, you, you can't just say that about yourself. You need more witnesses. And so moving forward now in John chapter 5 is Jesus is going to give the, the testimonies as to why he can do what he is doing and why he can make these claims. And so um, I've got three points this morning. Usually it's seven or eight. I got three. Well, I got eight. I actually have 18, but you'll say, I, I guess I have 21 points this morning. But anyway, um, but uh, three main points. And so let's look at the first one. Let's look at the requirements in regard to in the Jewish world about 
testimony requirements. So going all the way back to Deuteronomy chapter 19, just listen to this. This is what was the standard in regard, standard in regard to uh, the validation of something. Deuteronomy 19.15. A single witness shall not suffice against a person for any crime or for any uh, wrong in connection with any offense that he has committed. Only on the evidence of two or three witnesses shall a charge be established. And so not only did this happen in the court in regard to crimes and things of that nature, but it also had to do with eventually in regard to other testimonies and things that were there. You couldn't just say, well, I'm innocent. Nobody can do that. I can't. Okay, well, what's your evidence that you're innocent? Well, you've got to have some people to show that you're evidence or that you're innocent. Or if you're guilty, then the prosecutor has have some witnesses to say, okay, you are guilty. And so Jesus begins to go through and share with them why he has valid testimony. And here's, the t- here's what he's going to say. One, I, I, Jesus says, I can actually give testimony about myself that gives validation to who I am. And here's why. Look, you see all these things? Because of who he is, he could actually give testimony about himself. But, but he, he didn't have to do that. The Father gave great testimony about who Jesus is. He did that himself. He also did it through John the Baptist. He did it um, through, uh, also through um, the Scripture and also through the works of Jesus. He gave this validation and this affirmation of who Jesus is. Now, for the Apostle John, who wrote the book of John, wrote the book of Revelation, and the first three epistles that are attached to his name, John writes the word witness or testimony in the gospel 47 times. When you come to Revelation and you come to the three epistles, he writes the word witness and testimony 30 more times. My math brings me to 77 specific references by the Apostle John affirming that Jesus is the witness. He is the one who gives the clear picture of who Christ is. Now, I want us to look at one of those, and I want you to go to 1 John, go to Revelation, and go to the left. Go to 1 John chapter 5, and then we'll get back to John chapter 5. Let's look at one of these um, references of the 77 of the testimony or witness. And so in 1 John chapter 5, verse 9 through 12, um, or an example of this for us. 1 John 5, let's start reading now in verse 9. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that He is born concerning His Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe, God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has born concerning his Son. And this is the testimony, that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Now let me just break this down for a moment. So John 77 times speaks about the witness and testimony of who Christ is. And so in this text here, 1 John 5, 9 through 12, he says this, listen, we have the testimony of men 
who affirmed that Jesus did the things and said the things that he did. There were eyewitnesses, apostles. People saw this. So we, we have the testimony of men, but we have a greater testimony, John writes here. And that greater testimony is the testimony of God, the Father, affirming who Jesus is. So first part of verse 9, we have the testimony of men. Second part of verse 9, we have the testimony of God, which is the greater testimony. And then he says in verse 10, that for everyone who believes that Jesus is the Son of God, they have this testimony of Jesus in their lives. Now listen to this. This is what this means. So I'm here today. I, I know I've been redeemed by the blood of Christ, that it is not my works, it is the work of Christ. And I know today that I've put my faith and trust in, in Christ, and He has done the work. So in light of that, the affirmation of the Father concerning the glory of the Son is inside my life. It's another aspect of security. It's another affirmation that our salvation and our belief is true, is the Father affirms the Son I believe the Son, that testimony of the glory of the Son is affirmed by the Father and now because of my faith and salvation now is in me. So the testimony John writes here, very unique, the testimony of the Father of the Son now lives in those who are God's children. And then he says this in the second part of verse 10, but those who reject the Father's testimony about Christ Tell the Father that he's a liar, which I would encourage no one in the room today to do. So if you're here today in this room this morning and you're rejecting the salvation that Christ offers, you're rejecting the glory of who Christ is, well, the Father gave the greatest testimony, and it was that Christ is the one who is the hope of the world. And if you are rejecting that, stomping on that, disregarding that then you tell the heavenly father that he is a liar that what he is saying in affirming the glory of jesus is not true and he speaks falsely and that's a dangerous place and so john is writing and he's saying listen um, if you reject this testimony because the father has given this testimony and it's the greatest testimony in regard to the glory of christ And then he says this, he says, the testimony of the Father is this, is that life is found in the Son. So if you know Jesus, guess what you have? You have life, eternal life. And then he says, therefore, um, if you don't have Jesus, guess what you have? You don't have life. You are separated from him. And I want to just ask this question right now. Will we trust the testimony of the Father? Are you trusting the testimony of the Father concerning Jesus? Now, let me give some illustrations. Every day of our lives, we give affirmation to the testimony of people that we know and don't know. Now, you kind of have to go back because the world has changed in the last four months. Go back to pre-COVID days, and we just could walk around in freedom and all of that. You would go into a restaurant. You would sit down at a table. Somebody would come and take your order. You would give them your order. They would go back to the kitchen. They would give it to the cook. And the cook would fix the food. They would bring the food out. We would eat it. We would pay for it. And we would go on our way. We never went back in the kitchen to watch over the cook and examine what they were doing. What did we do? We trusted that Chili's gave a testimony. We're going to serve you fresh 
clean food that's going to be healthy and good for you. We go to a bank. We give them a check. We endorse the check. We give it to the teller. We are trusting that the teller is going to put it into the right account. Or they're not going to stick it in their purse and keep it. Now, we, can't, we can check later if it's been put into our account. But we don't know, has it actually been put into our account? But we trust that it has. And we walk out of the bank, we get in our car, and we go on our day. We go and buy a brand new car. 2020 Toyota Tundra. We don't say to the salesperson, well, you know, I've got a friend that's a mechanic, and, and I know it's a 2020, and it's come off the line, and it's new, and it's only got about eight miles on it. I'm going to have everybody inspected. What do we do? We, nobody does it. What do you do? You get in the car, and what do you do? You drive it off the lot and depreciate the value immediately of that car. We don't check it. We just trust that what they've sold us is true. We go online and we buy something, Amazon or some other place, and get the very last thing, and it's, they've got a thing there that says this, you can trust us that we have a system that secures your credit card information. And so we can choose right then to say, cancel, I'm not going to order this, and, and give my credit card information to them, or we click submit, and most often what do we do? We cl- click submit, and we wait for it to arrive. Now, why did I give five illustrations like that? Here's why. Every day of our lives, we live that way, trusting the testimony of other people. If you're a Christ follower in this room this morning, and the Father has given testimony, the Eternal Father has given testimony of the Eternal Son of God, what does it say about the quality of our faith that we don't trust what the Father says about the Son? If we're going to trust the bank, why will we not trust the Father that what He says about the Son is absolutely true? And so these testimony requirements that were there in Israel, um, they, they, when when it comes to the glory of Christ, Christ can actually speak about Himself, but He doesn't have to because there's so many other testimonies about who He is. And so let's look at the second thing this morning. And I want to talk about the testimonies that Jesus gave about Himself. And they're found in John 5, 30 and 31. We read those a while ago, but let's read it again. There are four things that Jesus um, gives here as to why His testimony is valid. And it's John 5, 30 and 31. Let's look at it again. I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. So I'll hear what I, here's what I want to do. Is I want to I take a little bit of time here, and I want to talk about four things that Jesus says as to why his testimony is actually valid. Now, I couldn't go into Collin County Courthouse this week and just tell some judge, hey, just trust me, just trust me. And they're like, okay, yeah, whatever, you know. No, we're going to listen to the prosecutor or whatever the case may be. So Jesus can actually give testimony about himself that's valid, but he doesn't, he doesn't just have to do that, but he does that. And I want to come back over to our boxes. This is the testimony that he has been given concerning himself. 
He is equal to his Father. So therefore, he is the Son of God. He's the source of salvation and all of that. So he can, he can do that because he is all of these things. And there are four things that he says here as to why you and I can trust that the testimony of Jesus of himself can be trusted. But let me give an illustration before we do that. When I was a kid, I loved to be walking down the sidewalk at night with a bright light and do shadow stuff. Light behind you, shadow. You could do, I, I used to could do a good bird, you know, shadow on the wall and on the sidewalk. And I love to make yourself big or make yourself small and all that kind of stuff. If you're not careful, here's what you will hear in the evangelical world today, church world in the West. That Jesus is kind of like a shadow of the Father where he just mimics all the things that the Father does. Because after all, look what Jesus says there. I can do nothing on my own. And I want to just say this this morning to make sure it's clear for us. Jesus is not a shadow of the Father. Shadows don't have thoughts. Shadows can't move unless there's something that's there. Jesus had thoughts. He spoke words. He ate. He talked. He healed. He preached. He, he was, he's not a mimicker of the Father. So what in the world is this about? This is all about when Jesus speaks these words, I can do nothing without my Father or I'm not going to say anything without my Father. He is pointing back to here the equality that he has with his Father, that they are one. He is affirming that the Father and I, we are equal with one another. We are intimate with one another. We are connected with one another. So when the Father does something, I do it. And, and there is a, a connection there that cannot be separated. And so Jesus here says this, listen, you can't trust me. I'm not just a shadow of the Father. I am God just like the Father is God, just like the Holy Spirit is God. And so, therefore, here's how I live my life when He came here. He lived in a way to where He never stepped away from the Father, acted independently because of the unity that is connected to the Father and the Son. Church, this is important to listen to what I'm telling you right now. This is critical to understand the divinity and the glory of Christ. He never one time said, I'm just going to do my own thing. So intimate, so, so in depth of the knowledge of the Father and the Son that their, their activity together was always the same. It was always one. It was always in unity with one another. And so Jesus frames here why his testimony is valid, mainly because he did not come to do his own thing. He came to do what the Father wanted for him, and what the Father wanted for him was what Jesus wanted for himself and what the Spirit wanted for Jesus and what the, as well. There is a unity with all of that that is beautiful and magnificent. Here's the first reason why we can trust the testimony of Jesus. And it's the verse 30, the first part of there, where he says, I can do nothing of my own. And it means this, Jesus lived in full submission to his Father. So the Father's purposes were one and the same as Jesus' purposes. Now I want to deal with this because this is important. 
would Yahweh ever sin? No. I hope you're doing this in your heart. Would Yahweh ever sin? Absolutely not. So if Jesus and Yahweh are equal, what is Jesus not going to do? He is not going to sin. So some people would say, well, you know, Jesus was tempted to sin. Could he have sinned? And I say, no way. Because Jesus will only do exactly what the Father does, and the Father is never going to sin. What's the Son not going to do? The Son is not going to sin as well. What is the Spirit not going to do? And so here's the thing. Jesus said, you can trust my testimony. Here's why. I didn't come to do my own thing. I came to do my Father's will, and we are intimately connected with one another. And I believe this. That were the temptations toward Jesus real? Well, absolutely they were. The Scripture teaches that they were real temptations. So was He ever going to give in to them? No, He was not. And here's one of the reasons why, and there are a multitude of reasons. Our God is perfect. And so if He has, perf- if he has plans that Christ coming to die on the cross to redeem us and for Him to bear our sin in His body, if that was the plan, then guess what? Was it going to come to fruition? Absolutely it was. Because God's purposes cannot be stopped. And so, even though the temptations that Jesus faced in the wilderness, and and even though the night of the crucifixion, He's wrestling in the garden, God, could this cup pass for me? Was He ever going to step away from that? No, He was not. This is called the impeccability of Jesus Christ or the impeccability of God. It means this. That means the absence of sin. This is an attribute of the nature and the glory of God. God will not sin for God to sin. If Christ were to sin, then he would act against his own will and nature. And would God do that? Absolutely, he would not do that. So Jesus says, I can give testimony about myself, and here's why. I'm not doing anything of my own volition, but I am intimately connected to the glory of my Father, so therefore I am in full submission of the Father. He's not going to sin. I'm not going to sin. I, he doesn't give in to temptation. I'm not going to give in to temptation. And this is connected to the second thing that he says in verse 30. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just. Jesus is the only human to have ever had the perfect ability to hear the Father and to hear the thoughts of mankind and to judge every word accurately. Every single one. Jesus knows the Father perfectly. There was never a moment in his life where a thought of the Father or something of the nature of the Father slipped from Christ's mind. He knows what the Father desired completely he knew the father's words guess who also knows the mind of the father and the son the spirit does listen these words from paul in eight romans 8 27 and he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the spirit because the spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of god do you hear that this morning do you hear the glory of that is ours, this testimony that's been born in us of the Father's affirmation of the Son, 
The Spirit knows the mind of the Father. The Spirit knows the mind of the Son. The Son knows the mind of the Father and knows the mind of the Spirit. The Father knows the mind of the Son and the mind of the Spirit. And all of that, we get this great benefit connected to the glorious nature of who He is. And so, so Jesus has this ability to hear the Father and to judge justly. And the Spirit is the same way as well as the Father. Here's the third reason as to why we can trust the testimony of Jesus is that Christ sought the Father's will as His greatest passion and pursuit. And that's the third part of verse 30. Because I seek not my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. There was never a moment in Christ's life where He was a self-seeker. And because He had the full knowledge of who the Father is, He knew everything that the Father wanted Him to say. He knew everything that the Father was up to and that the Father was doing nothing was ever lacking in anything that Jesus ever said or did why because it was intimately connected to the glorious nature of his father and his great passion was the will of his father therefore what does that mean to us it means this that you and I can trust every testimony that is given to us in the scripture about Christ Every single one of them. Because he didn't come here to be about himself. He came to be about following intimately and completing the will of his Father. Here's the fourth affirmation. Before we move on to our next point. Is Christ's testimony is affirmed not just by himself. Now they have a problem. You're just... You're just saying all this stuff about yourself, and you can't say that about yourself. You need more witnesses, and so Jesus is like, okay, yeah, if I give you, if I just give you my testimony, yeah, I, I get it that that's not enough, but, but, but I can give testimony about myself, but I, there's a lot more, lots more testimony about who I am. So in verse 31, he says, if I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. His testimony was not the only one confirming his glory, and yet his word could stand on its own. He could actually give testimony about himself, and it could stand. Now I want to just deal with a couple more things before we finish up. Not only does John 77 times use this word um, witness or testimony in his writings, he also really loves the word truth. He uses the word truth over and over in his writings, 25 times in the Gospel of John, John and 20 times in the 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, the letters, affirming the truth of Christ. Now, this is really important for us to hear, so I really need you to listen as we finish this up uh, this morning. There is truth in the Father, and there's truth in the Son, and there's truth in the Spirit. They are all truth. It is all, all the words that are spoken are connected to this great reality. Jesus himself said this about the Father in John seventeen seventeen. He's praying, he says, sanctify them in the truth. And then he says to the Father, your word, Father, is truth. So Jesus affirming the Father is true, true. 
He affirms that He is the truth. John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth. The Spirit guides us, Jesus said in the upper room, into what? All truth. So this relationship with the Trinity is connected to the reality of truth. And this is why this is so critical for us this morning. Though Jesus gave testimony of Himself, His testimony, catch this, was not separate from the Father. Why could Jesus say all of these things? Because the Father had already said all of these things. So Jesus isn't giving self-testimony. He is speaking what the Father has already said about Him. The Father said that His voice will raise the dead. The Father said that um, He would show Jesus all that He's doing. So all of these things that Jesus is giving testimony of as to the glory of who He is, Jesus could say them, not prideful. He said them, why? Because there is an agreement that the Father had already affirmed all of these things to be true about Christ. And so when Jesus speaks these words, He's affirming His divinity as the Son of God, and He's doing so because the Father has already affirmed that the Son is divine. And so Jesus' statement here, every one of them, is in agreement with what the Father has already said. And there was never a time where Jesus said anything that the Father had not said it or didn't agree with it or didn't confirm it. This is really, really important. Because what do we do? We're American Christians. We can live independent. We can kind of do our own thing. and We can post whatever we want to post. We can have an opinion on whatever we want to have an opinion of. And none of it gets checked because, because we're Americans. And if you've traveled outside of the world, you know this statement that I just said about Americans. You've traveled in all their cultures. They, they don't view their culture and their nationality like we do because we value our independence. And I want to remind you and I in this room this morning of this. There is no hope outside of the Son of God. And because of that great reality, we've got to line our lives up with the reality that He alone gets the glory. His perspective on things is greater than anybody else's perspective on things. And you, four, four and a half months ago, we had trouble in this country with opinions. We really had trouble with opinions four and a half months later. This entitlement that's there. And I, I, I just want to remind you and I this morning of the nature of Christ He never did anything for himself. He so loved the Father that he just kept every step, every word, every action in line with honoring the Father. And if you and I can just capture a glimpse of what that would be like, we would find ourselves not having to apologize as much as we have to apologize about certain things that we might do or to delete something that we put on social media that we shouldn't have ever put on there in the first place, even though as we're typing it, something inside saying, don't, 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 hit send. And we hit send anyway, and now we got to come back and go, yeah, my bad. Listen, Jesus spoke the same words as the Father. 
they spoke from the same place of knowledge from one another. And the Father bears witness to Jesus through Jesus' own testimony about himself. And all of this is completely true because he is truth. And Jesus speaks nothing that had not already been first said by the Father. So as he says this, this is not independent testimony, but it is interconnected divine testimony. All right, we're going to close here. So look at 32. And let's talk about the testimony of the Father. We're going to see in the weeks ahead there are three invaluable testimonies, very valuable testimonies of, to the nature of Jesus. They all come from the testimony of the Father, but it's going to be from John the Baptist. We'll talk about him next week. Uh, the works of Jesus and the Scriptures. That's where we're headed over the next um, three weeks. But let's talk about two phrases here just for a moment. There's a phrase in verse 32 It says, There is another. In the Greek, this means another of the same kind. So Jesus says, there's another who gives a testimony about me who's of the same kind as myself. Which is who? The Father. So he's saying the Father's going to give testimony of me. It's not man's testimony. He's just like me. I'm God. The Father is God. And so there's another of the same kind of myself who is God is going to give testimony about who I am. Now go to the next phrase, who bears witness about me. The tense of this verb here, bears witness about me, means continual action. So here's what the Father does. The Father gives continual testimony, continual action to the affirmation of the glory of who Jesus is. Christ is. So the Father testifies and works continually to manifest all things concerning Jesus. Jesus knows exactly what the testimony of the Father is and the truthfulness of it. So he affirms the Father's perspective of himself. So watch. The role of the Son. Let me wait. Let me back up. The role of the Spirit is to highlight the glory of Christ, to guide us into all truth, to be God in us, to be a deposit. But the Spirit loves to shine glory on Christ. Well, what does the Father love to do? The Father loves to honor the Son. What does the Son love to do? The Son loves to honor the Father. What does the Son love to do? He loves to honor the role of the Spirit. And it's the beauty of the Godhead. It's almost as if they're trying to outdo one another in honoring one another. And so, watch. If the Spirit and the Father are honoring the glory and the nature of Jesus as our Savior, what must a local church constantly do? Proclaim Jesus. Nothing else. Proclaim the nature and the glory of Jesus. Well, let's close with a little perspective. So the Father gives affirmation to the glory of the nature of the Son of God. And so we've already got one tower as to the equality and the relationship and the unity of the Father and the Son. But now we know this from the scripture 
And from what Jesus says here is that there is one of the same kind as Jesus who gives testimony to the glory of Jesus, and it's a continual affirmation. So how did the Father affirm the nature and the glory of Jesus? Well, the first place he did it was with the prophets. Moses wrote about Jesus. David wrote about Jesus. Samuel wrote about Jesus. Isaiah wrote about Jesus. Let me remind you, you know the story David and Goliath for Samuel 17? Do you know that that's a story about Jesus? It's not really a story about David and Goliath. Did David kill Goliath? Yeah, he did. That's a picture that the son of the king would slay the giant's sin and cut off its head. Joseph in Genesis is an early picture of the glory of the son of God. These Old Testament stories, we're not David in the story. And if you want to be David, I'm sorry, you're not David in that story. David is Jesus, picturing the slaying of the giant. So the Old Testament prophets gave testimony over and over to the glory of Christ. And then there's this teenage girl in Israel 2,000 years ago, and she's engaged to be married. And the angels show up to her house one night. Can you imagine angels showing up? Hey, i got a plan for you, teenage girl. Um, in your womb, you're going to carry the long-awaited Messiah. And so the Father sends angels to testify to the coming of Jesus that the time was now here. The long-awaited time was here. And so the angels, under the direction of the Father, spoke about the glory and the coming of Jesus. So that's another way the Father affirmed Jesus. And then at Jesus' baptism, something uniquely happens. He's baptized by John the Baptist. He comes up out of the water. Spirit descends as a dove. And the Father speaks and says, What? This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And so at Jesus' baptism, the Father speaks out loud. And he speaks in such a way to affirm the nature and the glory of Jesus. I got nine of these things, so hang with me. Matthew 17, Peter, James, and John go up with Jesus on top of a mountain. And when they're up there, Moses and Elijah show up. It's kind of a pretty awesome thing. And then this bright light comes and the Father speaks again and says, This is my beloved Son, and something's added. Listen to Him. I'm pleased with Him. You listen to Him. So at the transfiguration of Jesus, Peter, James, and John were able to be able to see the glory of Christ and hear the voice of Christ. Peter later writes about it in his epistle at the transfiguration. Here's the fifth way the Father affirmed the Son of God was at the cross. There was only one who could come and bear our sin. And you remember what took place in the temple? What happened to that curtain? It was ripped in two. Why? Because it was no longer necessary. Because on a hill outside of Jerusalem, the Son of God was bearing the sin of the world. So that Holy of Holies wasn't necessary because the Holy of Holies was hanging 
on the altar of a cross outside the city. So the Father affirms the glory of Christ at the cross. He affirms the glory of Christ at the resurrection. Angel comes down, stones rolled away. The guards freeze up, freaking out. What in the world's going on? Some women come to the tomb and say, hey, as the angels, as a messenger to the women, hey, um, he's not here um, so go tell his disciples that he's risen from the dead. And so the Father um, affirms the glory of Christ on the day of the resurrection that he is the one who has conquered the grave. Conquered the grave. O death, where is your sting? Well, it's been dealt with. Well, in case that's not enough, can I give you a few more? Jesus, after the resurrection, hangs around for a bit. And one day they gather in Galilee and they're there and he just, (laughs) so awesome, just leaves the ground and kind of starts floating up and disappears into the clouds. And they're standing up there looking and I think I would still be, (laughs) okay, what, what, okay, what, what, just, what happened and an angel comes again from the Father and says, Hey, men, quit looking up there. You've got a job to do. He's made you witnesses. And so at his ascension, there's affirmation of the Father that now go tell the whole world about Jesus. So at his ascension. Well, I love this one. After his ascension, he went and he sat down where? At the right hand of his father. And what is he doing now? He is interceding for his people. So now we live in the church age. It also could be called the age of intercession by Jesus himself, who is seated at the right hand of the father. And the father has given this role to the son, to this seat of power at the right hand of the father, and he is interceding for us. And I could go on and on, but I'm going to stop here. I could go beyond this one, actually. But can I just remind you, he's so glorious that the Father is sending him back again a second time. And when he comes back, he's going to slay God's enemies. And he's going to establish a kingdom where we're going to see what it could have been like in the Garden of Eden. And he's coming again as a reigning king. And I could put more, but I would have to get a ladder. I thought about it. Because we could write that there's no need for a moon or a sun. And we could go on and on. But I want you to take a look. I want you to take a look at that. That's a tower of the majesty of the glory of Christ. The religious leaders thought that you ought to topple that down, everything that he said. You can't topple that. (laughs) But I want to speak just from my heart to us this morning as we finish up. I've got some other little tiny boxes in my hand here, and I've written some words on them. And I want to bring some application to this for our lives today. And there's the potential that I'm going to bother some of you with what I'm about to say. So James, you don't email me this afternoon. I'm not, meaning, I'm not meaning to trouble you. 
but I don't love you if I don't tell you the truth. So I'm going to tell you the truth right now. This is all I want to be about. I hope you do too. I just want to be about this. This is where life is. This is where glory is. And I've got a few boxes here. And one of them says COVID-19. Have y'all heard of that? And I want to show you how small it really is. Why in the world are we making a big deal about that? We should be making a big deal about that. This little box says race relations. Are race relations important? Absolutely they are. Is racism a sin? Absolutely it is. Does God hate racism? Absolutely. Should somebody's skin be greater than another person's skin? Absolutely not. But I want to tell you what the gospel is not. It's not racial reconciliation. Listen, this, this fixes this. This does not fix that. I'm for racial reconciliation. Absolutely, I'm for that. But Christian, do not get caught up in this world today and what's going on thinking that this is bigger than this. It is not. It is not. And it's just small. This is where some of you are going to be bothered. Masks. To mask or to not mask. Christians, we can submit when our government asks us when we go out in places to wear masks for the safety of other people. We can do that. Is there a point in time where our government pushes too far and we have to take a stand about stuff? Well, absolutely, when it asks us to do unbiblical things. And I'm not on social media, and so I don't know if you've posted anything but I'm going to make a statement. If you have, you need to stop. Okay? To mask or unmask, for Christians, this is not our issue. This is our issue. This is our issue. So for those of you who are unmaskers, give grace to the maskers. Those of you who are maskers, give grace to those who don't, aren't so excited about mass. And don't get caught up in cultural conversations that have nothing to do with the gospel. So mass, pretty small next to the tower. I got one last one. And I think it's the biggest one. Fear. 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 It's dominating our world. And if all of this is true about who he is, and these affirmations of the Father of the glory of Jesus, if all of those are true, which they are, why should we fear? Why should we fear? We should not. We should not fear. And I'm going to add 
Our tower's getting taller next week. Just pray that it doesn't fall over. Um, but we've, we've got more things to add next week. I hope you hear my heart. I hope you hear my heart this morning. This is what we are going to be about. This is what we're going to be about. Do we need to be concerned about all those things? Yeah. You, you guys, do you, do you know this? That our society has fundamentally, fundamentally, structurally changed. And if you think we're going back to the 1st of March, we're not. The American culture has changed. What's it going to fully be? I don't know, but it's not going to be the 1st of March again. If you're waiting for that to come again, it's not coming. It's not coming. So his people trust in one, guess what? Who doesn't structurally, fundamentally change. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So that's where we stand. That is where we stand. All right, let's pray.